Amen and amen. If you take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 James, if you would like to follow the reading of God's Word, let me say that again. Turn to James chapter 1. 1 James is the only James that's there. We continue our discussion on the book of James and the practical advice he offers uh, his uh, readers. James chapter 1, verse 22, beginning with verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. James says, Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in all that he does. And then our verses for this morning, verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rate on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Our Father, we ask your blessing this morning on our Scripture reading, our Scripture lesson. Uh, give us, as your Word says, ears to hear and a mind to grasp, because we believe you speak to us today through your word. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, James is writing in the infancy of the, of the church. Recorded in the book of Acts uh, chapter 2, the day of Pentecost came and the church came into existence. 3,000 people wanted to sign up that day. And uh, we know the story of the book of Acts of how the church continued to grow in, in, uh, in tremendous ways. And finally they had to organize and finally they had to get some administration in. Uh, by the way, they were neglecting the widows of their, of their setting as to cause the first group of administrators to come in. But, uh, but God did amazing things through the, the early church. And then persecution happened. In Jerusalem, there were those who sought to destroy the, the, the evidence and the way of this, uh, 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 these followers of Christ. And so they decided to persecute these Christians, put them in jail, have them publicly arrested, have them publicly beaten. We believe uh, from, from other writings, some lost their life. We know that Stephen did, lost his life. In the tight Jewish society in which they lived, they, some lost their ability to buy and sell in the marketplace, all because they were Christ followers. And when the physical persecution broke out, these uh, new Christians scattered in every direction. And what the persecutors thought they were doing by stamping out the, uh, the, the cause of Christ really had an opposite effect, for it caused an explosion of the growth of those Christ followers because they took with them the testimony of what God had done in their lives. Folks, don't ever underestimate the significance of us telling our story and living our story as to what God has done for us. And it was so attractive that others wanted to join. And all of a sudden, the Christian movement is, is, is large and, and gaining followers and in the organization. They, the church was founded and the church was organized. And James would become the leader of the, of the Christian church in Jerusalem, probably a very Jewish setting, but James would become the leader. And those first-generation Christians scattered abroad, were persecuted uh, significantly. And so James writes, first of all, about 50 years after the death of Christ, James writes, first of all, for those first-generation Christians to be encouraged. He says words that we read in the first part of James's letter that almost seem, uh, 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 that almost don't make sense. Consider it pure joy, he says, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, 
Consider it pure joy because God's testing your faith and developing perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Then he offers a great promise to them and to us. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And he talks about how blessed they would be because they're living faithfully in in a persecuted environment. And last week we looked at the last part of the verses uh, in chapter 2, and we, we saw that James encourages them not only to be encouraged in the midst of their persecution, but to live in such a way that they are a dynamic witness to the cause of Christ. Even in their time of persecution, in their time of hardship, God has a purpose for all that taking place, and it is to reach others, and it's done by the faithful living of these people, even in times, even in very difficult times. That's still true for us today. But then in the very last two verses of this first chapter, James almost seems to take a very unusual response. He seems to ask an unusual question. He seems to question the validity of their religion. These people that are being persecuted, these people that are suffering great because they are Christ followers, James would have the audacity to ask them of the scope and strength of their religion. Why would he do that? I don't know that I have a good answer for you. I've asked that question this week and sought in Scripture and sought in prayer. It might be because James knows that unless they're really following the real thing, unless they're genuine in their Christian beliefs, they will not be able to stand faithful in the midst of very difficult times. I think James wanted to make sure that they were so authentic in their following and in their grasp of God that they would be faithful witnesses in, in a very correct way to what God can do in a person's life. And yet, James' words to those first-generation Christians are still applicable to us today. What kind of religion do we have? We live, statistics say, we live in a very religious society. In fact, in Christian America, more people have attended our church members today than ever any time in history. And although mainline denominations find their numbers dwindling, there are still record numbers of people coming to church around this country. We live in a very religious society, but one that seems to be missing the characteristics, the gifts and graces of being Christ followers. And so it's good for us every now and then to examine our religion, to see if it's the kind that catches the attention of God or if it's something less. Uh, Religion, I want to remind you, won't get anybody to heaven. I'm glad for people to come to church. Everybody ought to come to church every Sunday, every service, every opportunity. We ought to be in church in God's house with God's people. But being religious is not enough, we know. In fact, Jesus said there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through me. I have the way, the truth, and the life, he said, unless a man comes through me, unless we, unless we embrace the shed blood of Jesus that forgives sins, we will not be on the right road. But being religious is not quite enough. And so James poises this interesting question to this group of people. How religious are you, he says. Anyone who can, if anyone considers himself religious, doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself that his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I find it interesting that James not only seems to poise the question of what kind of religion do they have, what kind of grasp of God do they have, but he also gives them three evidences to to prove that it is pure and faultless before God. And certainly worth us looking at today because no one wants to have a worthless religion. We shouldn't want to have a worthless religion. 
In fact, I think one of the most shocking days that, that, that history will ever tell will be the day of the great judgment when many come to Christ and they say, we've done so many things in your name, and Jesus will say, I depart from me. I never knew you. And remember the evidence that he gives. I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty and you did not give me drink. I was in prison and you didn't visit me, with me. I was, I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Very much a summary of what James is saying. So today I encourage you to examine your religion and my religion to make sure we're living that kind of way that is pure and undefiled before God. Isn't it interesting that James says there are three ways that these people would show their, the, the validity of their religion? Keep a tight run on their tongue. Look after uh, widows and orphans and, and don't be polluted by this world. Keep a tight rein on his tongue. That must have been a big deal for these first generation Christians because in 26 verses, James has already mentioned it twice. By the way, if you go on in this letter, he's not finished talking about that. That must have been a big deal. These Christian people must have been in the, in, in the midst of great difficult times, but they must have done so with an attitude that came out of their mouth. As perhaps they condemned those who were doing those things. As perhaps they, they, uh, they said things that were not of Christ and of God in a proper, uh, proper discord. James seems to say, if you really got a religion and God in your life, it will be affected. Uh, it will affect what you say. And we ought to hear that today. What comes out of our mouth matters, folks. I'm amazed as I've been in the work world to realize that be around a lot of people that talk about God and they talk about the church and they talk about the Bible and even in casual conversation you can't talk to them very long before the subject of God and the church comes up but let them get bad mad really mad and listen at what comes out of their mouth it's shocking to me it says to me that somewhere along the way there's a gap in their process and they hadn't quite got it all together because they talk like people who are not Christ followers now, everybody loses their cool every now and then. We're not, uh, we have not achieved that perfection yet, and all of us make a mistake, and all of us overspeak sometimes, and all of us let emotions uh, uh, overcome us and, and become the, the catalyst for what we say. But I'll tell you, folks, we ought to be working on this. And, and while we're not perfect in what we say, we ought to be closer this year than we were last year. And we ought to be better next year than we were this year. What we say matters. What comes out of our mouth matters. And, 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 and James seems to say that what comes out of our mouth proves the level of Christianity that we have. And sometimes, even in the church, we become a poor witness for God by what we say and the things that happen in our times of distress. And we, we, we lose our witness by what we say. Think about that. We lose our witness by what we say. In a moment's time, in a time of, of real difficulty when emotion is high and stress is great, I lose the witness I've tried to create because I've tried to live because of what comes out of my mouth. Keep a tight rein on your tongue, James says, because anybody who doesn't do that deceives himself and his religion is worthless. We ought to be careful about what we say and how we talk. It's impossible to, to, to be shielded from all the ungodly things said at a place of work or even in school. But, but we better be careful about joining in on it. We should not be a part of dirty jokes and, 
and dirty language and God's people have no right to be a part of, 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 of the nastiness that comes in society and God's people ought to be careful about gossiping. Amen to that. I didn't hear that so loud. We ought to be careful about gossiping. I was raised in an environment that said if it's true, it's all right to say it. It's not gossip. I've learned that there's a whole lot of things that are true that still shouldn't be said. We better be careful about flirting with those of the opposite sex that are not our spouse. You might say it's radical, folks. It might be radical, but it is Christian in what we do. We ought to be careful about what we say and how we kid and how we act around. And be careful about spreading things. Sometimes the church is the greatest Reuben meal you could ever find in a, in, a, in a segment of society. I grew up in a church that had a, that had a prayer chain, an alphabetical prayer chain. You, whoever would start it off, the church office or somebody, would call the person whose name was first in the alphabet, whose last name was first in the alphabet, and they would call somebody else, and they would call the B's, and the B's would call the C's. By the time they got down to the W's, sometimes they already had you deceased. I never wanted to be on the church prayer chain because I was afraid I wouldn't survive by nightfall. Twice my mother has prepared a casserole and taken to the house of the supposedly deceased person to find them answering the door. We ought to be careful. We ought to be careful about what we say and what we do and how we do it because we are witnessing the fact of the God, place God has in our life. God does not require us to perfection from all of us, from any of us, but we ought to be getting better and we ought to trust God. And James says, if you don't know what to do in this area, ask God who will give you wisdom and knowing what to do. I read the old story, the old preacher story this week about the, the, the young kid that was working in the produce store the, uh, of the grocery store, produce section of the grocery store. And a lady came in and asked if she could buy a half a head of lettuce. She said, I live by myself and I never can eat a whole loaf of lettuce, a whole head of lettuce and half of it goes to waste. And I'd just like to buy a half of a head of lettuce. And the young kid had had his limit that, that moment. He was going to see the store manager anyway, but he quickly made his way to the store manager, and he said to the manager, I think every crazy person in town's at the store this morning. He said, I just had an old bat ask if she could buy half a head of lettuce. And he turned and realized, didn't realize that she had followed him and was standing right beside him. And so the young boy took a quick breath and said to the store manager, if you find that lady that wanted to buy half a head of lettuce, you should sell it to her because this fine woman here would like to buy the other half. Pretty, pretty, pretty fast thinking. We ought to be careful about what we say. James says it matters. And just because life is tough does not change the testimony of our heart. And just because we go through things that are hard doesn't mean we, we, we evidence itself and, and we speak. There's a lot of anger in the church. There's a lot of anger in the world that even comes into the church. And we're bad at everybody in the church. From the preacher to the, to the musicians to the children workers to the teens, we're bad at everybody. If we're not careful, folks, the enemy will work to get us in that way and keep us in that way. James said religion that catches the attention of God is one that has a, a taming of the tongue. And we ought to be careful about what we do and what we say. Amen to that. Religion that is pure and undefiled begins, James says, by the evidence of what we say. And then he says to talk about uh, to, to go on and to look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's hard for us to understand specifically what he means. 
In his day and time, the widows were, a widow was at the very edge of society. A widow could not inherit anything. A a widow could not get a job. A a widow was really on her own. If the family didn't take care of her, a widow was in great, great distress. The Jewish church tried to take care of the widows. In fact, they they would go around one day a week and collect food from all the people that had extra, and they would spend a week distributing 21 meals to the widows of their congregation so they would have something to eat. And orphans were very much at the, at, at, truly, uh, the life of an orphan was, was almost powerless to those stronger than them that did all kinds of things to imprison them and entrap them and sell them and all kinds of things, the things we see happening in the world today. James says, as, as religion that catches the attention of God cares for those in distress. Now, I don't think that means when we give money to every person standing on the street corner asking it for it. I don't mean that, think that it means that we don't ever, that we feel guilty about what we have and we make sure we give it all away. I don't think he means that at all. But, but I'll tell you, there's an element when God speaks to us and tells us to do something, we ought to do it. Sometimes if we're not careful, we overlook those of our own congregation. We, when I was uh, in junior high school, we, had a, we used to take food poundings at our church. Every time about Thanksgiving, we'd have a big food pounding. And, and at Christmas time, we would, the people would bring food in. And, and I don't know why they called it a pounding unless they just, they just measured it by the pounds. But, but we'd bring food in, and then it would be distributed to those of our congregation and those associated with our church that didn't have enough to eat. We picked up one of my dad's aunts, two of them actually, Aunt Jimmy and Aunt Irene, they lived with a wayward brother named Buford, and Buford never came to church, but Irene and Jimmy did, and Sunday after Sunday, we would pick them up and take them to church, talk about the food pounding, talk about all this. One day, one of them made the statement as we're coming to church, we sure, sure hope the, the first of the month comes, because they lived on meager, meager Social Security means. And Jimmy said, we don't have anything to eat. For the next three days, it pricked our hearts to think that we're out here raising food for people that we might not even know, and yet our own are suffering. We ought to be careful and be aware and live to, and work to help people. God has not blessed us just so that we can keep the blessing to ourselves. God has blessed us so we can help us. By the way, the church, we can do that by giving to God and supporting our church. We give a 10% tithe of all of our income to, that goes to uh, other church means, and we, we give another 5.7% to world missions, and part of that goes into compassionate ministries, and we work to help those who are in distress. And the Church of the Nazarene runs great programs to, to have with medical clinics and educational facilities around the world. In fact, more than I could even count today without looking it up. We give to God, and that's a way that God helps, but we ought to be careful about those around us. Have you ever been to a store? Have you ever been in a setting where, where something you saw someone that seemed to be in need, and you just felt the prompting of the Lord to help them? I, I have. Sometimes I've not helped them and felt bad about it all day. Sometimes I have helped them, but, but when God leads us, we've got to be careful. And by the way, one way we, we attend to the widows and orphans that we see is to, is to be aware of them not just see them. It's easy to see that person on the street corner and not see a person. It's easy to forget that they're made in the image of God. They are God's creature and God's creation. They might have made bad choices and put them in that in the situation they're in, but they're still in the image of God. And who are we to say no when the Spirit of God leads us in that way? 
Could it be that James is saying to these people that you test and you prove your religion by how you respond and how you treat people? That goes along with keeping a tight rate on your tongue, how we treat people. In fact, I, I read one author this week that said, is it possible that we show how we love God by how we love on God's people? Jesus said, greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it unto it to love your neighbor as yourself. And could it be that one evidence we prove uh, to, of our love to God is that we respond to people around us? A lot of need around us. Not, uh, not, I'm not uh, propagating a way of just giving everything away, but folks, if you ask God, it goes back to what James says, ask God for wisdom what to do, and He will tell you what to do. In fact, James says a great promise, He will give generously to all who ask. Thankful that He doesn't say, if you've been in church a long time, God will give you great wi- wisdom. If, you've, if you're just starting, God, God's going to give you a little bit of wisdom. If you've, just, if you've lived for God a long time, you get more. And if you, if you give so much, you get more. And if you live this way, you get, I'm glad James says, gener- He will give generously to all who ask of Him. If you're not sure what to do when it comes to people, ask God and He will show you and be obedient. James talks to these Christian people who are being persecuted telling them to examine their faith and examine their religion. Make sure it's the right kind. Make sure that it catches the attention of God, that it's pure and undefiled, as the King James says. He says you do that by keeping a tight rein on your tongue. He says you do that by responding to those marginalized people, those on the edges, those around us that are in need. And then he makes this incredible statement. And for those who keep keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If there's one area that God's people in Christian America get caught, is that sometimes we allow the world to pollute our minds, and, to, and, and we, we, we buy into the things the, the, the world says are important. We, we buy into the world's value system, and we buy into the world's uh, method of, of uh, uh, of, of recreation hours, and we buy into the world's system of me and revenge and all those negative things. James says, don't let yourself be polluted. I'm reminded of the words Paul wrote in 12th chapter of Romans. Be, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Be careful and not let yourself become polluted by the world because it has such a negative effect upon our religion. Keep from being polluted. Don't be conformed. Don't, uh, one person has said, don't love what God hates. You want a good philosophy for not being polluted by the world. Don't love what God hates. And, and how are we polluted? We're polluted by what we allow into our minds. A lot of it, in the workplace, in the school setting, we can't control because people say and do things around us that we have no control over. But there's a whole lot we can control. We can control what we watch on TV, what we watch in movies. We can control the type of video games we play. We can control what we read. We can control what, what, what we do, what we are a part of that's really not, not of Christ. And the fact of the matter is that one of our Achilles heels in Christian living is that we allow the pollution of the world to enter into our lives, our hearts, our minds, our homes, and wonder why, and wonder why we have such difficulty. Be 
renewed in your mind. Be strengthened by God. Live according to God's standards, not the world's standards. Live, live on the basis of love, not the basis of I. The world says it's all about me. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. You say something mean to me, I'm going to say something mean back to you. I'm going to, I'm going to one-up you. You do something to me, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bit worse to you. We, we play it in video games. We see it in television shows, the revenge, the, the all about me, the, the, the I am the center of my universe. All goes into allowing ourselves to be polluted by the world. God says the world's ways are not my way. We are to submit to Him. We are to let the image of God so permeate our lives that it, it affects everything that we do. And it's, it's quite a contrast to pray that God will keep us safe and pure and then spend time involved in activities that are not pure and not of God. James says, religion that catches the attention of God, pure and undefiled, is a religion that so transforms our life. It transforms what we say. It transforms our look and approach and acceptance of people. It transforms us when we're allowed, when we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. God, help every one of us to live like that this week. I challenge you to, to, to live that. Turn the TV off. Turn the video game off. Turn the electronic world off. By the way, we, we do as much damage in controlling what we say by the things we type as we do the things that come out of our mouth. We ought to be careful. By the way, that never goes away, you know. We think that because we've deleted this stuff off of our computer, it's gone, but it is not. I'm shocked to see that employers are going back to the electronic world of potential employees to see what they really think, and sometimes not hiring them because of that. I think above all else, God is keeping account of that. Boy, would you hate to stand before God in Judgment Day and see every email or every electronic message you've sent? If, if, we'd be, if that's a dis alarming thought, we ought to be careful and change what we do. And we, how God comes into our life should affect every area of our life. And James says to these people that are suffering and these people that are hurting and these people that are dying, have good religion. They distinguish the Christians from all other aspects of the world by the way that they died. Ha have good religion that impermeates and improves every bit of your life from your mouth to your head to your hands. Be careful, James says, about what you say. Be careful, James says, about what you do. Be careful, James says, about who you are, the character of your heart, because it all matters greatly to him. I challenge you this week to, to, to live with these few things in mind, to ask God to help us, to ask God to give us wisdom, to realize God is working in our midst in, the, in spite of all that, that happens. Whatever people do to us and life brings to us, we can still be a faithful witness. And let's be careful about what we say. Let's acknowledge all of those around us, even the disenfranchised. Let's work to keep ourselves as pure as we possibly can. What we say and do matters. I read again the story this week of Casey Simmons, a, a, a waiter at Applebee's restaurant. And Casey says that one day before work, he stopped off, I believe, at Walmart and was trying to buy a few things. And there was an, an elderly lady in the line in front of him. He said she seemed to be in great anguish. 
He couldn't tell what was wrong, but she just seemed to be, she seemed to be confused and disoriented. And he said uh, people kept going by and pushing her around and, and getting in front of her. No one seemed to acknowledge her. But he said he decided to start talking to her. And her countenance lifted a little bit when he began to talk to her. He, in fact, asked if he could put his few things with hers. And when they went through the cash register, saying that he would pay for hers too, $17 he paid Helped her get her groceries in a, in a little bag and get out to the car and went on his way to work and never thought a thing about it. Well, the next day, a woman came in, asked a seat in his area of, the, of Applebee's, uh, got a menu and looked over it for a long time. And when he came back the second time, she ordered, she ordered the cheapest thing on the menu, a glass of flavored water, 37 cents. He came back around a little bit later, and she said, asked if she was ready to order her food, and she said she had changed her mind. Could she just have her ticket? And she would go, kind of irritating him a little bit, but he was very appropriate. Gave her her, gave her, her uh, invoice, her receipt, and uh, uh, didn't notice when she left. But uh, turned around and came back to that part of the restaurant, and there was 37 cents on top of a napkin. And the napkin had a note on it. And he picked the napkin up, and it said... I want to thank you for what you did to my mother yesterday. This was the third anniversary yesterday. It was the third anniversary of the loss of her, of her lifelong husband. It is a hard day of the year for her. Your speaking to her seemed to brighten her up a little bit. Your paying $17 for her groceries was a great blessing to her. And he said, she said, you even told my mother how nice she looked. And she said, I haven't seen my mother smile like that in years. And then he realized there was something under the napkin, and it was a $100 bill. And he picked that up and realized there were four more. She had bought $0.37 cents worth of water and left a $500 tip, all because of what he said and what he did. Nothing about God in that story except the right behavior. But folks, what we say matters. How we treat people matters. How we become aware of people matters. And may we testify to the world around us of what God has done in our life by what we say and how we treat people and how we, we, we conduct our lives so that we keep purity as at the highest level as we can and God will be blessed. And James encourages these first-generation Christians to hold on. And James says words of encouragement to the second generation that's coming behind him. And may God find our religion pure and undefiled because we seek to serve Him in every way we can. And may God help us this week to control our tongues better. May He help us this week to respond to folks. May we help us this week in our effort to stay pure, turn the computer off, change the TV channel, step away from the conversation at work. Oh, we're not trying to be prudes. We're trying to stay pure. And, and God help us. We could ask Him for wisdom, and He will give to all of us. And that ought to be a great encouragement to all of us today. God is on our side. We need to remember that every now and then. God's on our side. He's working overtime to, 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 to take care of us. He will lead us and guide us and direct us and protect us. He will help us in every area of our life. He doesn't require perfection, thank the Lord. But we ought to be maturing. And we ought to be becoming more like Him in all that we do. Until the day God calls us home, may we be found faithful. And everybody said amen and amen. Let's stand this morning. We will pray and sing the song of dismissal. Our Father, we are so thankful this day for the chance to be in your house. And Lord, to look at these powerful words. You know that I've read them every day this week. 
the last time it is as stark to me as it was the first time I read it in preparation for this service. Lord, I confess to you that sometimes I miss it. Help me this week to do better because of you. Help me this week to be better because of you. May I be aware of those around me. And offer a kind word. Treat everybody as if they're a person. Lord, help me to have the discipline to keep my mind pure as best I can. And we're so thankful that you're on our side. And we say thank you and praise your name for your goodness to us. We ask these things in your name and we pray. Amen and amen.